Section 53 of the Kerner Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report of the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders, Kerner Commission Report. Chapter 17 Recommendations for National Action, Part 4 Enrollments in virtually every large american city the inner city schools attended by negroes are the most overcrowded we have cited the vast population exchange relatively affluent whites leaving the city to be replaced by negroes which has taken place over the last decade the impact on public education facilities has been severe Despite an overall decrease in the population of many cities, school enrollment has increased. Over the last 12 years, Detroit has lost approximately 20,000 to 30,000 families, yet during that same period the public school system gained approximately 50,000 to 60,000 children. Between 1961 and 1965, Detroit's Negro public school enrollment increased 31,108, while white enrollment dropped 23,748. In Cleveland, between 1950 and 1965, a population loss of 130,000 coincided with a school enrollment increase of 50,000 students. Enrollment gains in New York City and Chicago were even larger. Although of lesser magnitude, similar changes have occurred in the public school systems of many other large cities. As white students withdraw from a public school, they are replaced by greater numbers of Negro students, reflecting the fact that the Negro population is relatively younger and has more children of school age, also makes less use of private schools, and is more densely concentrated than the white population. As a result, Negro school enrollments have increased even more rapidly than the total Negro central city population. In Cincinnati, for example, between 1960 and 1965, the Negro population grew 16 percent, while Negro public school enrollment increased 26 percent. The following data for four other cities illustrate how the proportion of Negroes in public schools has outgrown the Negro proportion of the total city population. Negro Population and Public School Enrollment Atlanta Negro percent of population, 1950, 36.6%, 1965, 43.5%, up 6.9%. Negro percent of public school enrollment, 1950, 39.1%, 1965, 53.7%, up 14.6%. Milwaukee, Negro percent of population, 1950, 3.5%, 1965, 10.8%, up 7.3%. Negro percent of public school enrollment, 1950, 6.6%, 1965, 22.9%, up 16.3%. Oakland, Negro percent of population, 1950, 12.4%, 1965, 30%, up 
up 17.6 percent. Negro percent of public school enrollment, 1950, 14.0 percent, 1965, 45 percent, up 31 percent. Washington, Negro percent of population, 1950, 35 percent, 1965, 55 percent, up 20 percent. Negro percent of public school enrollment, 1950, 50.1%, 1965, 89.4%, up 39.3%. Negroes now comprise a majority or near majority of public school students in seven of the ten largest American cities, as well as in many other cities. The following table illustrates the percentage of Negro students for the period 1965-1966 in the public elementary schools of 42 cities, including the 28 largest, 17 of which have Negro majorities. Proportion of Negro students in total public elementary school enrollment 1965-66 Washington, D.C., 90.9% Negro, Chester, Pennsylvania, 69.3%, Wilmington, Delaware, 69.3%, Newark, 69.1%, New Orleans, 65.5%, Richmond, 64.7%, Baltimore, 64.3%, East St. Louis, 63.4%, St. Louis, 63.3%, Gary, 59.5%, Philadelphia, 58.6%, Detroit, 55.3%, Atlanta, 54.7%, Cleveland, 53.9%, Memphis, 53.2%, Chicago, 52.8%, Oakland, 52.1%, Harrisburg, 45.7%, New Haven, 45.6%, Hartford, 43.1%, Kansas City, 42.4%, Cincinnati, 40.3%, Pittsburgh, 39.4%, Buffalo, 34.6%, Houston, 33.9%, Flint, 33.1%, Indianapolis, 30.8%, New York City, 30.1%, Boston, 28.9%, San Francisco, 28.8%, Dallas, 27.5%, Miami, 26.8%, Milwaukee, 26.5%, Columbus, 26.1%, Los Angeles, 23.4%, Oklahoma City, 21.2%, Syracuse, 19.0%, San Antonio, 14.2%, Denver, 14.0%, San Diego, 11.6%, Seattle, 10.5%, 
Minneapolis, 7.2%. Source, U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, Racial Isolation in the Public Schools. Because this rapid expansion of Negro population has been concentrated in segregated neighborhoods, ghetto schools have experienced acute overcrowding. Shortages of textbooks and supplies have developed. Double shifts are common. Hallways and other non-classroom space have been adapted for class instruction, and mobile classroom units are used. Even programs for massive construction of new schools in Negro neighborhoods cannot always keep up with increased overcrowding. From 1951 to 1963, the Chicago Board of Education built 266 new schools or additions, mainly in all Negro areas. Yet a special committee studying these schools in 1964 reported that 40% of the Negro elementary schools had more than 35 students per available classroom, as compared to 12% of the primarily white elementary schools. Of the eight Negro high schools, five had enrollments more than 50% above designed capacity. Four of the ten integrated high schools, but only four of the 26 predominantly white high schools, were similarly overcrowded. Comparable conditions prevail in many other large cities. The Civil Rights Commission found that two-thirds of the predominantly Negro elementary schools in Atlanta were overcrowded, this compared with 47% of the white schools. In 1965, all Atlanta Negro high schools were operating beyond their designed capacity. Only one of three all-white high schools and six of eight predominantly white schools were similarly overcrowded. Washington, D.C. elementary schools, with 85 to 100% Negro enrollment, operated at a median of 115% of capacity. The one predominantly white high school operated at 92.3%, an integrated high school at 101.1%, and the remaining schools, all predominantly Negro, at 108.4% to 127.1% of capacity. Overcrowded schools have severe effects on education, the most important of which is that teachers are forced to concentrate on maintaining classroom discipline and thus have little time and energy to perform the primary function, educating the students. Facilities and Curricula Inner-city schools are not only overcrowded, they also tend to be the oldest and most poorly equipped. In Detroit, 30 of the school buildings still in use in these areas were dedicated during the administration of President Grant. In Cincinnati, although from 1950 to 1965 Negro student population expanded at a faster pace than white, most additional school capacity planned and constructed was in predominantly white areas. According to a Civil Rights Commission report on Cincinnati, the added Negro pupil population was housed, for the most part, in the same central city schools vacated by the whites. With respect to equipment, the Coleman Report states that Negro pupils have fewer of some of the facilities that seem most related to achievement. They have less access to physics, chemistry, and language laboratories. There are fewer books per pupil in their libraries, 
their textbooks are less often in sufficient supply the quality of education offered by ghetto schools is diminished by the use of curricula and materials poorly adapted to the life experiences of the students designed to serve a middle-class culture much educational material appears irrelevant to the youth of the racial and economic ghetto until recently few texts featured any negro personalities few books used or courses offered reflected the harsh realities of life in the ghetto or the contribution of negroes to the country's culture and history this failure to include materials relevant to their own environment has made students skeptical about the utility of what they are being taught reduced motivation to learn results funds despite the overwhelming need our society spends less money educating ghetto children than children of suburban families comparing the per capita education costs for ghetto and suburban schools one educator in testimony before this commission said if the most educated parents with the highest motivated children find in their wisdom that it costs fifteen hundred dollars per child per year to educate their children in the suburbs isn't it logical that it would cost an equal amount to educate the less well-motivated low-income family child in the inner city such cost would just about double the budget of the average inner-city school system twenty-five school boards in communities surrounding detroit spent up to five hundred dollars more per year to educate their children than the city merely to bring the teacher to pupil ratio in detroit in line with the state average would require an additional sixteen hundred fifty teachers at an annual cost of approximately thirteen million dollars there is evidence that the disparity in educational expenditures for suburban and inner-city schools has developed in parallel with population shifts in a study of twelve metropolitan areas the civil rights commission found that in nineteen fifty ten of the twelve central cities spent more per pupil than the surrounding suburbs by nineteen sixty four in seven of the twelve the average suburb spent more per pupil than the central city this reversal reflects the declining or stagnant city tax base and increasing competition from non-school needs police welfare fire for a share of the municipal tax dollar suburbs where non-school needs are less demanding allocate almost twice the proportion of their total budgets to education as the cities state contributions to city school systems have not had consistent equalizing effects the civil rights commission found that although state aid to city schools has increased at a rate proportionately greater than for suburban schools states continue to contribute more per pupil to suburban schools in seven of the twelve metropolitan areas studied the following table illustrates the findings revenues per pupil from state sources baltimore city amount per pupil 1950 71 dollars 1964 171 dollars percent increase 1950 to 54 140.8 percent baltimore suburbs 1950 90 dollars per pupil 1964 199 dollars per pupil 
121.1% increase. Birmingham City, 1950, $90 per pupil, 1964, $201 per pupil, 123.3% increase. Birmingham Suburbs, 1950, $54 per pupil, 1964, $150 per pupil, 177.7% increase. Boston City, 1950, $19 per pupil, 1964, $52 per pupil, 173.7% increase. Boston Suburbs, 1950, $30 per pupil, 1964, $75 per pupil, 150% increase. Buffalo City, 1950, $135 per pupil, 1964, $284 per pupil, 110.4% increase. Buffalo Suburbs, 1950, $165 per pupil, 1964, $270 per pupil, 63.6% .6 increase. Chattanooga City, 1950, $62 per pupil, 1964, $136 per pupil, 119.4% increase. Chattanooga Suburbs, 1950, $141 per pupil, 1964, $152 per pupil, 7.8% increase. Chicago City, 1950, $42 per pupil, 1964, $154 per pupil, 266.6% .6 increase. Chicago Suburbs, 1950, $32 per pupil, 1964, $110 per pupil, 243.8% increase. Cincinnati City, 1950, $51 per pupil, 1964, $91 per pupil, 78.4% increase. Cincinnati, Suburbs, 1950, $78 per pupil, 1964, $91 per pupil, 16.7% increase. Cleveland, City, 1950, $50 per pupil, 1964, $88 per pupil, 76% increase. Cleveland Suburbs, 1950, $39 per pupil, 1964, $88 per pupil, 125.6% increase. Detroit City, 1950, $135 per pupil, 1964, $189 per pupil, 40% increase. Detroit, Suburbs, 1950, $149 per pupil, 1964, $240 per pupil, 61.1% .1 increase. New Orleans, City, 1950, $152 per pupil, 1964, $239 per pupil, 57.2% increase. 
New Orleans Suburbs, 1950, $117 per pupil, 1964, $259 per pupil, 121.4% increase. St. Louis, City, 1950, $70 per pupil, 1964, $131 per pupil, 87.1% increase. St. Louis Suburbs, 1950, $61 per pupil, 1964, $143 per pupil, 134.4% increase. San Francisco, City, 1950, $122 per pupil, 1964, $163 per pupil, 33.6% increase. San Francisco, Suburbs, 1950, $160 per pupil, 1964, $261 per pupil, 63.1% increase. Source, U.S. Commission on Civil Rights Racial Isolation in the Public Schools. Federal assistance, while focused on the inner-city schools, has not been at a scale sufficient to remove this disparity. In the 1965-66 school year, federal aid accounted for less than 8% of total educational expenditures. Our survey of federal programs in Detroit, Newark, and New Haven during the school year 1967-68 found that a median of approximately half the eligible school population is receiving assistance under Title I of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act. ESEA. Community School Relations Teachers of the poor rarely live in the community where they work, and sometimes have little sympathy for the lifestyles of their students. Moreover, the growth and complexity of the administration of large urban school systems has compromised the accountability of the local schools to the communities which they serve and reduced the ability of parents to influence decisions affecting the education of their children. Ghetto schools often appear to be unresponsive to the community, communication has broken down, and parents are distrustful of education officials. The consequences for the education of students attending these schools are serious. Parental hostility to the schools is reflected in the attitudes of their children, since the needs and concerns of the ghetto community are rarely reflected in educational policy formulated on a citywide basis, the schools are often seen by ghetto youth as irrelevant. On the basis of interviews of riot area residents in Detroit, Dr. Charles Smith of the U.S. Office of Education's Comprehensive Elementary and Secondary Education Program testified that one of the things that came through very clearly to us is the fact that there is an attitude which prevails in the inner city that says, in substance, we think education is irrelevant. Dr. Dodson explained this phenomenon as follows. The divergence of goals between the dominant class and ghetto youth makes schools irrelevant for the youth of the slum. It removes knowledge as a tool for groups who are deviant to the ethos of the dominant society. It tends to destroy the sense of self-worth of minority background children. 
it breeds apathy powerlessness and low self-esteem the majority of ghetto youth would prefer to forego the acquisition of knowledge if it is at that cost one cannot understand the alienation of modern ghetto youth except in the context of this conflict of goals the absence of effective community school relations has deprived the public education system of the communication required to overcome this divergence of goals in the schools as in the larger society the isolation of ghetto residents from the policy-making institutions of local government is adding to the polarization of the community and depriving the system of its self-rectifying potential ghetto environment all of the foregoing factors contribute substantially to the poor performance of ghetto schools inadequate and inefficient as these schools are the failure of the public education system with respect to negro students cannot be appraised apart from the constant and oppressive ghetto environment the interaction of the ghetto environment and the schools is described in the following testimony of superintendent briggs of cleveland but what about the child of the ghetto it is he whom we must save for we cannot afford to lose this generation of young americans if this child of despair is a young adult there is a better than fifty per cent chance that he is a high school dropout he is not only unemployed but unemployable without assailable skill neither of his parents went beyond the eighth grade preschool or nursery school was out of the question when he was four and when he was five he was placed on a kindergarten waiting list at six he entered school but could only attend for half a day because of the big enrollments during his six years in elementary school he attended four different schools because his family moved often seeking more adequate housing for the six children when he got to high school he wanted vocational training but none was available the family was on relief and he couldn't afford a good lunch at noon because cleveland schools at that time were not participating in the federal hot lunch program and the average cost of lunches amounted to seventy cents of his few friends who were graduated from high school none had found jobs and they couldn't afford to go to college here he is now discouraged and without hope economically incompetent at a time in life when traditionally young americans have entered the economic mainstream as job holders a younger brother age nine is now in the fourth grade he attends a new school opened in nineteen sixty four though he lives one mile from lake erie he has never seen it he has never taken a bus ride except when his class at school went on a field trip the family still does not subscribe to a daily newspaper the television set is broken and there is no money to have it repaired his mother has never taken him downtown shopping he has never been in the office of a dentist and he has seen a physician only at the local clinic when he was injured playing in an abandoned house in the neighborhood at home there are no books his toys if any are second-hand his shoes are too small and his sweatshirt bought for twenty-five cents at a rummage sale bears the insignia of a suburban school system each morning he looks forward anxiously to the free milk he gets at school because there is no breakfast at home 
he can't study well at home because of the loud blare of rock and roll music from the bar up the street there are nine bars in his rather compact neighborhood the screaming police siren is a very familiar sound to him for he hears it regularly in his neighborhood where the crime rate is cleveland's highest these boys both have better than average intelligence but they are the victims of neglect and are lost in a maze of statistics their plight and that of thousands like them in america's ghettos can certainly be considered the most pressing unattended business on america's agenda End of section 53 recording by maria casper